Hello everyone and welcome back to our 20th episode of Curiosity Killed the Rat. My name is Matt, I am a science enthusiast, and I would like to start this episode by acknowledging that I am speaking on the land traditionally owned by the Noongar people, and I would like to pay respect to elders past, present, and emerging. Joined as always by my lovely co-host and sibling, Kate. Hello, I am here also. I just want to like caveat, like just like yeah, yeah. caveat, that's the wrong word. Side note for a moment. I love that you've officially named yourself a science enthusiast. Like that's just become your official show title. Like, I like it how a lot. you've evolved over the last twenty episodes, what brother can I of say? mine. You've really, you know, settled into yourself, and I, I respect that. Uh, but yes, I am here. Also, I'm Kate. I'm a neuroscientist, and I would like to acknowledge that me and our exciting guests, who I'll get to in a second, that we have on today, are all recording in Melbourne and recording on the land of the Wurundjeri people. And we would like to pay respects for elders, past, present, and emerging. So, on to our exciting guests today. Here we have Cat. Steph and Wayne joining us, and I will let them introduce themselves, you know, in a little bit more detail in a hot sec. But first, I just want to, you know, I want to spin a little bit of background about today's episode and why we have not one, not two, but three amazing guests. Because obviously, this is this is a first for us here on Curiosity Killed the Rat. Like this is a crowded house, and I'm kind of I'm kind of digging I'm kind of digging it. I'm very excited. I miss group dynamics as a concept. Hey, like lockdown has <laughs> removed that from my life, and so I am ready for this. Are you Melbourneites? But okay. Okay, so the background as to why we have these three individuals in particular. Um, shout out, big shout out to Unimelb Psycom and Jen Martin and the amazing science communication courses that she runs at the University of Melbourne. Because as part of one of the postgrad Unimelb Psycom courses, each year a small group of students gets to do like a live radio show on 3RRR, which for those of you, our listeners not based in Melbourne, that's a local Melbourne community radio station. Um, I actually got to do this last year and it was so fucking fun. And it like, honestly, it's what motivated me to get this podcast off the ground. So, you know, it was a fan fucking great time. <laughs> fan fucking great time. We're rolling with it. I love it. that. I love that. <laughs> Don't gonna, question it. I'm going to pepper that into my conversation starting today. Um, and this is why I no longer talk on radio podcast because <laughs> no one will hire me because I can't word good. No, this is not true. Anyway, I'm getting good. away from the point. Today's guests, today's guests are the team from this year. Well, three out of the four of the team from this year. Shout out to Leela, who's not here, who we will definitely, definitely get on as a guest in the future. But, you know, today we have three out of the four um, here to talk to us about the topics that they learned how to communicate for this radio thing. Um, Kat, Steph, Wayne, how are you? How y'all going? Welcome. Thank you. All we are great. You. Hello. <laughs> Several salutations thrown generally in your direction. <laughs> so excited to be here, Kate and Matt. Thank you for having yeah. us. And yes, it's not the same without Leela, but we will soldier on. We'll power yeah. through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, all right, Steph, let's let's start with you. Who are you? What, what do you I value am... most in life? You know, Ooh, what... what do I value most in life? I mean, right now it would be my plants. Go because... to the deep <laughs> Yeah, value. <laughs> um, um, but no, tell us, who, who are you? What do you study? What, you know, give us your I'm, credentials. 
I'm an environmental engineer, but I'm studying ecosystem science at the moment and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, learning all about science communication in um, Jen and Graham's class. Amazing. Kat, hi, you're here too. Hello. Hello. Yes, I'm present also. Um, I'm a chemist. I do chemistry. Um, nice. As many yes. chemists do. Yeah, I yeah. Hear. Funny how that works mm-hmm. out. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> Wayne, how about you? Hey, I'm a physiologist slash molecular biologist. And yeah, that, that's all I have for myself. I don't have anything else to say. <laughs> and you all passionately love science communication. <laughs> right, yeah, why you're exactly. Here. <laughs> yes, yes, of course. Of course. Yes, and yes. science. Just yeah. goes without saying, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so today's guests aren't going to be talking about stuff necessarily from their field, but they have, I guarantee, researched these topics thoroughly, put a lot of time and effort into learning how to communicate them. So... You know what? I'm just going to fucking let him do it. I'm going to stick with the same order that I named you in. Sorry, not sorry if that doesn't work for you, but <laughs> Steph, I'm going to I'm going to throw you under the bus and You're say start us off. Fantastic. Okay, so today I'm going to be talking to you about a human evolution story or Ooh. rather a raging debate that has been going on for ooh, I don't know, like 70 years. It started oh, back then. Yeah. Uh, It started back in about 1960, or at least that's the first sort of evidence I could find of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So a zoologist, no, a molecular biologist put out an article in the uh, New Scientist. A marine biologist. Sorry, Wayne, it's not you. How could you? (laughs) Got me excited for no reason. It's been a few weeks since I've given the story, so I I might get some of the biologists wrong. You know, I just want to remind our guests that this is, in fact, an audio medium and any, like, you know, celebratory gesticulations (laughs) that you may make, no one can see that. So, you know... For everyone else, I feel like we feel Wayne, it, Wayne was celebrating. I, Wayne was, I was visually I knew celebrating. That they see me. I was, I was celebrating in quiet. I'm sure, I was picking up the vibes through the microphone. It's all good, man. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fair. <laughs> well, anyway, I got him. I got him gesticulating for marine biologists. Gesticulating for no reason. My favorite word, by the way. Mm. Oh. Um, <laughs> Not to be confused okay, with gesticulating, so as I've done in the past. <laughs> oh no. Okay. This is a very, very worthwhile side story. I'm one so sorry, time. Stephanie, to cut you off. <laughs> Not even, it's just, you know, one time, this was, a, this was a couple years ago, just in conversation with Matt, and he was like, he made some comment about how he was just gestating too hard. I was gestating so <laughs> I know. I know. Meaning to say gesticulate, but boy, was he gestating hard. And that's what I oh, learned, just- that those are in fact different words with very different meanings. It's oh a boy. bit late at night right now, so my brain's not at its best. Remind me, gestating is to do with pregnancy, right? Yes. Oh, yes, indeed. <laughs> Something yes, that indeed. I am not capable Something of that doing. Something that Matt, as a non-uterus owner, um, <laughs> cannot do. Anyway, marine biologists. Marine biologists. So, so Alistair Hardy, he puts out an article in The New Scientist. He's been postulating a theory for a while and decides it's about time to share it with the science community. Mm-hmm. What he thinks is that rather than the traditional human evolution theory we're familiar with, where humans um, sort of, you know, they evolved around one to two, well, the first uh, ancestors that we are aware of evolved around one to two million years ago mm-hmm. and travelled by land from the African desert um, all the way across the globe. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Hardy came out and he said, what if we actually spent a lot more time around water than we previously thought Um, and, in fact, in water and that really heavily influenced our biology and our evolutionary traits? So he listed off like a whole range of different features that he thought might be to do with this. Um, the like even from the fact that we don't have much hair on our skin to the fact that um, we can control our breathing. You know, maybe we're doing that because we go underwater, and then mm. even the fact that we could walk on two legs. He thought maybe that's because we needed to ah. wade deeper and deeper into water. Ah. See, because we- I've read. I've read that a different interpretation of like the reason we became bipedal is because we went from living in, you know, kind of jungle forest type habitats where the easiest way to escape danger was to like climb a tree, AKA arms are important to like the environment changed, the world changed. And we ended up living in more kind of like African savannas where the easiest way to escape prey was to run the fuck away. And so we evolved like straight legs that were bipedal and stuff so that we Mm. could yeet ourselves across the plains (laughs) away from danger (laughs) instead of up a tree away from danger. But like this just shows, right? Like there are so many different ways that we can interpret this data. Like (sighs) the way you've just described is pretty much the standard evolutionary theory and it's definitely what we still believe today. So that's that's current, like don't get don't make a don't get me confused. That's what we currently yep, believe happened. The, yep. um, we were standing up to see further and hunt further and run mm-hmm. across the African grasslands. But Hardy had some other ideas. Oh, um, I'm excited. He, I love controversial scientists. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, he, depending he on the controversy. thought that, like, maybe we really, really love our aquatic environment and it's to do with this, like, old connection that we might oh, have I had like with um, with water. You know, we love water sports, um, I don't know, going to the beach, having a bath. He put out all this different stuff. Yeah. But mm. he also was like, yo, guys, it's just speculation. Like, let's gather some evidence. Let's figure mm. this out. I really like this theory, but it needs to be tested. Mm. Yeah, and no kind of, of just like baseless claims, like just kind of, I'm having a thought, fellas. Yeah. I'm having a thought. Let's yeah. chase it up. I'm having a thought. It's a bit of a yeah, crazy okay. thought, but I like my thought. I've but actually been out. thinking about it for about 40 years before I came yeah. out this <laughs> Yeah, okay. A long thought. Um, a big thought. A, a big thought. <laughs> but um, so initially that didn't get a whole lot of attention. Um, and then about six years later, um, yeah, in 1967, Desmond Morris, a zoologist, put out a really popular book about human evolution called The Naked Ape. Um, Mm -hmm. and I mean, it listed all sorts of different stuff, but he, uh, he sort of, he referenced this article that, um, Sir Alistair Hardy put out, um, and he said, oh, it's a really interesting theory, but it generally lacks solid support, but he also gave it a name. He called it the aquatic ape theory, which Hardy Mm -hmm. never did. He kind of generally referred to us as being maybe semi-aquatic ape-like sort of background kind of thing, but Morris puts this name on it and it kind of starts to generate a whole new conversation and people go mm. like way off course with it as well because they're like what aquatic apes bullshit we didn't yeah. live underwater what are you talking about <laughs> we weren't mermaids what do you want about <laughs> right <laughs> previous episode on submerged landscapes and how I beg to differ <laughs> not scientifically speaking though don't listen to me sorry Steph save me from my mermaid fantasy <laughs> Uh, Anyway, so um, in the 1970s, a screenwriter actually gets attached to this idea just to make it even crazier and even less appealing to traditional scientists at the time. 
Ooh, I have not heard of that. Tell oh. me more. Oh, it's it's an old film. I think it's from like the eighties or something like that. It's post-apocalyptic. I haven't seen it myself. I just know it's regarded. <laughs> you love bringing up films that you haven't seen <laughs> on this podcast. It happens so often. He's like, it's like this movie. I haven't seen it, but it, you I just should. know of it, right? <laughs> what, wasn't wasn't Waterworld rated one of the okay. worst? Yeah, Isn't that one of the worst movies? Yeah, it's it's like renowned for being like a really, really yeah. bad film. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Fair enough. I mean, it's possible. I don't remember seeing any good things about Elaine Morgan's film, but, um, you know, I can't, I can't. Unless there were apes and underwater environments, probably not the one. There were humans and on top of water environments. No, stop. You're on the wrong <laughs> Seems unlikely. Seems unlikely. Anyway, um, what do you know? Putting out a fiction film about about aquatic apes didn't really gain much traction with Funny academics that. of the time. Oh, so shock, she switched. What is? What is? I'm what shook, a surprise. Truly. Ha, ha. But um, I'll insert a laugh track. You will though. Yeah. Oh, can you just insert Wayne's little giggle there? <laughs> <laughs> I just, will. Just do that every time we say something stupid. <laughs> I have that power. If you want, I can do that. Oh that would be God. so much work for you, Matt. You don't have time. That's true. Anyway, she switches to books. So um, our screenwriter, Elaine Morgan, switches from mov- from this movie, unsuccessful movie, to books. And she puts out something mm-hmm. like six books between 1982 and 2008. So this Dang. woman's pretty obsessed with this idea. She's spending, mm, what is that? I can't do the maths. 26 years, 16 years, one or the other. Um <sighs> And a number uh, of years, <laughs> more um, than one. And she's like researching it as well and trying to give it a lot of credibility. But, you know, she's a screenwriter, um, probably not the best professional to be debating this topic. The point is that these books that she was putting out, um, not exactly gaining a lot of traction again. Well, sorry, they're getting a lot of attention, mm-hmm. but um, pretty controversial. And so the responses from the academic community, um, and especially, I can't remember the profession, paleoanthropologists, I think that's mm-hmm. the one. Um, sounds, sounds legit. They're really <laughs> hating on this theory. I think there's a few that yeah, were kind okay. of like, maybe it's got some legs to it, um, or some fins, haha. But it's generally getting a pretty venomous uh, response. Um, And that's actually a quote from someone who I'll bring up in a hot minute. So we fast forward to 1992 when a doctor comes in, an ear, nose and throat specialist, Mm -hmm. puts out a paper about a phenomenon known as surfer's ear. Have you guys heard of surfer's ear? Well, I think, I mean, most of you were. I mean, only from listening to the radio show. (laughs) Have you heard of? Have you heard of Surfer's Ear? Uh, I did not prepare well for this. I did not listen to the episode. I'm going into How the- could oh, you? Know what? you? No, that's great. I, I, it's got a virgin I mean, listener. I did that on purpose because I'm a blind yeah. ear. Tell me. Yeah. Great. Okay, so I can teach you, Matt. Teach about, me about um, Surfer's Ear, please. So basically when people spend a lot of time underwater, they grow a bone inside their ear I'm in sorry, the outer what? ear canal. Yes, you heard me. They grow a bone. <laughs> what the? Um, which is to protect, well, the theory is that it's to narrow the ear canal and protect the inner eardrum from high pressure environments underwater or from really cold water. So this is a really like widely observed phenomenon in humans. So we've just, we've just known this. We've known this for ages that we can just grow bones if we spend a lot of time yeah. underwater. 
Fuck what? Yeah. It's really, really, really <laughs> cool. That's so wild. It continues yeah. to blow my fucking yeah. brains. I love it. Okay, then. Sure. Yeah. I'll just it's accept like that. tennis elbow, but for surfers. Is tennis elbow so, growing a new bone? Is that what tennis no, elbow is? No, but it's, is? you know, doing a sport. No, but oh. it's doing a sport repeatedly enough that it changes some part of your body. Right. Same thing. But rather than wearing you down and fatiguing you and breaking cartilage. You just grow a whole new bone to protect <laughs> you. I mean, tell the us, tell us what it what. does. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the idea is that um, from an evolutionary perspective or like from a biological perspective, the purpose is to protect our fragile eardrum. Right. Uh, and Peter, Dr. Peter Reese Evans, not to be confused with the shitty piece, Peter Evans. <laughs> um, different Pete Evans. Different Pete Evans. Um, but he said, okay, well, what if we could find these um, exostoses, that's the name of this bone, in mm-hmm. really old fossils, like of our early human ancestors? Would that actually be some credible evidence that yeah, to support this semi they were also doing the um, water thing. Theory? Yeah, mm. doing the water thing, exactly. Um, and it's to kind put of it in scientific my- terms. <laughs> So I'm just imagining apes surfboarding when you're talking about surfing. It's like but with apes. Yeah, like like where they've made it out of like bits of tree and stuff yeah. and it's animals yeah. surfing. Gotta go with the green man. Yeah, that's the that's what we're talking about, right? No? That's not what you meant. Because <laughs> Well, look, maybe maybe that is what was happening because basically Neanderthals, which lived like 400 to 40,000 years ago, um, they uh, of the specimens that have been studied and checked for this bone, about 50% of them have them. So that's a huge occurrence. Yeah, right? oh, that's shit. wild. God damn. Yeah, and it's kind of the first, to my knowledge, it's the first um, good evidence to kind of support this idea. Mm. Um mm. And enough so that the big dog, uh, who I was referring to earlier in our quote, doct- uh, doctor, Sir David Attenborough, oh, actually yeah, came into this theory and he thought that it was worth enough attention that he put out an entire seri- uh, mini-series on BBC um, called The Waterside Ape. So now we're coming around to like some more logical, like some more sensible naming conventions. He's like, no, no, no. Yeah, what aside is far theory. more believable than entire. Like aquatic makes you yeah. think like entirely. Like, like aquatic, or whereas that it's what aside is like. You know, like yeah, surfers exactly. are water side. They're not aquatic. That's like, murder. It makes sense. Like, you're, I feel, you're conflating you know, the two. Humans, at least, you know, in our current society, we have evidence to show that we have a tendency to really fucking love living by the coastline. Like you only need to look at population spread of Australia to see where everyone's living. You know, we've got a big ass country mm. and most of us, we're on the edge. Like, And I was going to exactly. say, once again, see our previous episode on submerged landscapes. We now, there's <laughs> actual archaeological evidence that indigenous Australians several thousands of years ago also lived by the coast. Mm. Um, well, like... Absolutely. In Dark Emu, um, he actually talks about, I, I I read this before I was doing my research for this piece mm-hmm. and I was like, oh my God, I need to go back and find out about the abalone divers because women on the southern coast of Australia, um, Aboriginal women, dive for abalone and they grow the exostoses in their ear. Uh, so they're still growing them in their ear in modern yeah. Aboriginal women. Amazing. Um, so very, very cool stuff. But I guess, so, you know, from a raging debate, and look, I actually think it's still getting a lot of venomous response to quote Sir mm. David Attenborough. Like, there's still a lot of paleoanthropologists out there that are pissed off about this theory. And it's kind of like, I don't know, there's, 
I'd love to actually see some academics go head to head and have a civilized mm, an conversation actual about debate. this, mm. like a, rather than yeah. like some hate mail on a blog site. But, yeah. Um, yeah, we'll get there one day, maybe. All I know is that we can, um, we can set it up. See future episode yeah. of Curious You Killed Durant. I'll get. Oh, God. No. We're I'm be not making promises now. Jesus take. Christ, go on. No. I mean, <laughs> that'd be pretty great. That's your job, Kate. Yeah. Okay. We'll see what happens. Um, yeah. No, that's so flipping cool. That's, yeah. So pretty uh, much where we're at now is that, look, there's some evidence and Dr. Uh, this Peter E. Evans, he put out some other theories as well, um, like this vernix, which is a, like a, a slippery thing on babies mm. when they're born ah. um, that's only shared by one other animal that we know of, and that is baby seals. Apparently, um, mm. Sir David Attenborough also thought that was really compelling. Right. No idea what a vernix is. Don't understand it at all. Question that you may not know the answer to, and if you don't, that's totally fine. But has there been anything looking in? I mean, actually, I don't know how you would know. This is a dumb question. I was going to say, because, like, I did some research recently for, like, a radio thing that I did about, like, modern traits among different populations of humans where they've evolved to adapt to different environments, whether that be like Tibetans in altitude, um, people in the cold, whatever. But one of them was the group of like, it was the Baja people from Southeast Asia that they've evolved to have 10% bigger spleens because it means they can free dive down to like 75 meters or something and hold their breath for like 15 minutes because the spleen acts as like a storage for oxygen. And they found that like deep diving seals also have these like larger, spleens and so it's like a thing so I was like can you test spleens of of ancient people but also I don't know how you would be able to get from fossils spleen size like I don't know well that's, that's been one of the challenges that I that um I read about or I heard about in doing this research is that when you're trying to look at ancient humans you're you're focusing on the bones, like you're focusing mm, on fossils. Yeah, that's so there's so really much hard. missing information. It's hard to know about the squishy Unless, stuff. I don't know, where yeah. the <laughs> pharaohs of Egypt doing much swimming, we yeah. could have a look at their mummified organs. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. 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 Attenborough got um, really excited because he was like, we finally have an ENT, someone who specialises in human anatomy, who can maybe try to put some of the squishy stuff together mm. with the old stuff. Very, very official terms there. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I just... Absolutely love it. So enthused. Before I shuffle us on to our next guest, next topic, is there anything else that you haven't had a chance to say yet that you want to just like chuck on out there that's uh, important, exciting, thrilling? Uh, I I just think maybe coming back to the surfer's ear that it's really Mm. cool how common this is amongst professional and recreational surfers. It occurs Mm -hmm. um, between like 30 to 80% of surfers. Um, yeah, so wow. I have a question about surfers here. Is that something that like is only really growing? Is anyone born with surfers here? Like if you're a no. kid that like, so if two surfers have a kid and they've already grown their surfers here, that doesn't get passed <laughs> down. Like, I didn't oh do biology. God. I don't really get how, how, you know, evolution and gene passing on works, but that, that uh. would be what I would assume, you know, like. What I heard was that you're, you're not born with it. I don't know mm. about surfers making babies and passing it on. Right. Um, <laughs> I would recommend our Listeners, have a Google. Look up sur- <laughs> surface babies and yeah, find I'm gonna out. I'm going to have a cheeky let, you know, Google after back. this because this I've never heard of that before and that's just so fucking crazy. We can just grow a bone by spending time underwater. That's, yeah. that's fucked, but I like it. Yeah, I do, I do want to add something to that. that. If it's somehow genetically related, then, yeah, that child would probably more likely 
grow that ear, that surface ear, but... Well, I mean, it's got to to be genetically related in some way to apply to evolution because evolution as a thing is not, you know, it's not people necessarily adapting within their lifetime. It's defined as like, you know, traits, well, it's actually, it's genes that are then associated with traits. Evolution isn't even about the traits, it's about the genes that are passed through a population. And obviously those, you know, more like, like if they're advantageous genes, then they're more likely to get passed on because the people that half of them are more likely to survive to the age mm. in which they can pump out yeah. the kids. So it's kind of like there's there's got to be, you know, for this to be evidence of aquatic, you know, ancestry or like waterside ancestry, like there, there is a genetic element in our ability to grow this. It's not necessarily yeah. saying that those that have it versus those, like that those that have it are more evolved than those that aren't, because that's not really the case. I would say it's more, there's a gene that gives us this ability, but you need to then be exposed to the environmental conditions of the water to mm. grow the bone. Yeah. Would you it's agree with well that, Steph, yeah. or am I off, off, off the mark there? I don't know. Sounds pretty good to me. I mean, <laughs> cool. the, the funny it. thing is that for modern humans, it's actually like it's useful, but it also fucks with modern humans because they get like inner ear infections and ah, the bone true. sort of doesn't mm. help that much when you're on land. Would it fuck with so, your balance? If it grew ooh, I don't know. I can't yeah. remember if I read that or not. Yeah, well, but, yeah, surely it would, it would affect the input to your vestibular system, especially if it grows during the time of <laughs> your lifetime. Because sorry, I'm a neuroscientist. Yeah, balance system. <laughs> no, because like the way your vestibular, which is your balance system, which is kind of organs within your inner ear, like you kind of you learn to pick up cues in your environment, like as you're growing up, sort of thing, and your brain inter- learns how to interpret those cues, which is literally just like the sloshing of water hitting hair mm-hmm. cells in different ways within your ear. It's very cool, uh, very sis- like very simple but very cool. But your brain then learns to associate what those mean in terms of how you should adjust your balance. And so I'm like, if you if you learn that early in life, and then you grow the bone later, and it affects the quality of those signals or just like what they look like. Surely there'd be a period of maybe like relearning. I don't know. It's interesting stuff. Like I'm sure it just there's a whole body of research that I want to now dive down for several hours. Last counterpoint though, surfers have mad skills when it comes to balance. Yeah, no, this is true. That's yeah. true. This is true. Mm. So maybe if maybe it's something they adapt over time, they kind of learn as they go. Because it's not like they just mm. wake up one day with a new bone. Like I imagine it would grow slowly. Well, like, yeah, every true, day that true. As it's evolved, as it's adapting in their ear, they would be adapting to it alongside. And like neuroplasticity, like neuroplasticity is a thing all throughout life. Like that's been shown in so many parts of the brain. So it's like it's so likely that the brain, yeah, has grown along with the bone. As mm. the neuroscientist, that's the science I want to see. I want to see how the brain changes along with the development of this bone and how that affects. Oh, so cool! But we could spend all episode on this, and we don't have time for that. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna drag us right along. Thank you, Steph. That was amazing. So, Cat, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call on you next. What's up? How's it going? What are you gonna teach us today? I am gonna teach you guys about a story that kind of connects detective and like problem solving with science. Yes, um, I'm here for that. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> CSIRO. No, not CSIRO. <laughs> CSIRO. <laughs> <laughs> but that is the science. That's the science mixed with the... 
I want to see a crime show called CSIRO. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's just like, you know, a, a murder happens and they we like call in, you know, the people from CSIRO to come in and solve it. And it's kind of like, we are not qualified for this. I look at bugs, man. It's I, set a couple hundred fuck. years in the future and it's, it's, it's scientists looking at the mass extinction of the human race and it's climate scientists being like, hmm, what did this? I know. It was climate change. Bum-bum, mystery solved. Anyway, sorry, Kat. <laughs> no, no, all good. Um, I'm not going to be talking about climate change, but the problem that these detectives are going to solve is basically they found a link between rabies and an anti-inflammatory drug you might know as Voltaren. Yeah. Oh, yes, um, I take Voltaren when I injure myself, which is often. Yeah. <laughs> 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 see the crutches in the background of my Zoom. <laughs> oh my no God. one else can see oh, yeah, that. You, can. <laughs> you know. I'm, anyway, sorry, cat. No, no, no. All good. Um, so if we track back around twenty-five years or so into rural India, scientists over there um, were noticing that their vulture population was really, really declining, like super rapidly. Mm-hmm. And within around 10 years, vulture 95... Vulture an animal, sorry? Yeah, vulture. Like, vulture. You know, oh, you know vulture, really... sorry. I thought you said vulture and it sounded kind of like a Pokemon. I'm like, what? What, <laughs> like, what is this like strange exotic animal I haven't heard of? But no, a vulture. Sorry, it was a just vulture. The, uh, yeah, surely a you've heard of a vulture. My internet connection. I'm just picturing them like singing in uh, in the Ice Age movies, singing the like, you know, parody of the song from food, Oliver. Food, glorious the food. That's the one. <laughs> yeah. Just imagine a mammoth steak, fried, roasted, or stewed. Continue. (laughs) 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 Well, um, yeah, so these vultures were just dying. Like, within... Within 10 years, 95% of them had died. So, you know, that's a lot. That's (laughs) That's a concerning amount. Yeah. (laughs) And, yeah, this is bad. But you might think that it's not super bad if you think, you know, like vultures are kind of ugly. They're not the prettiest birds, you know. Like maybe I mean, this that's was like, a bit rude. Poor vultures. I, no. All birds are ugly animals. Yeah. Get rid of all of them. We only want the pretty ones. It'll be only good for the, the cute ecosystem. Ones. Yeah. Vultures are ugly. Vultures You're right. Are ugly. They are kind of ugly. <laughs> So we don't care that they're dead, except. (laughs) Well, we we probably should, right? So vultures, along with being ugly, they can be not gross in how they eat, but, like, the food they eat is dead animals. So I mean, so do humans. (laughs) Great. I mean, that's actually Most humans eat dead dead, dead humans. feels like a crime is my roast on vultures. You guys are ugly. You eat weird (laughs) shit. You're really messy. Like, what good are you? Like, I'm glad 95% of you just fucking died. Like, god damn. (laughs) I am. Yeah. We're just shitting on vultures now. Yeah, let's turn this one around. Why should we care? Kat, tell us why we should care. Um, We should care because vultures are the vital cleanup teams of the animal kingdom and the way that they eat these dead animals as their food sources they do it really quickly and really efficiently so this stops any kind of bacteria growing on these dead carcasses and prevents this bacteria from being transmitted to other animals they're kind of like the garbage men of nature yeah yeah you know (laughs) definitely (laughs) so these vultures were dying off and scientists were really trying to figure out what was going on. Like, why were they dying? Um, There wasn't any kind of new poacher killing them. There wasn't a predator killing them. They had enough food. They had plenty of water. They just seemed to be, like, falling out of the sky. But if these vultures are dying, 
that means that they're no longer there to eat these dead animals that they would otherwise eat. And I should probably point out that their major food source are dead cattle or, like, cows. They're the Mm. animals that they like to eat. So if these vultures are all dying... So once again, like humans. Yeah, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe we're more like vultures than we thought. So the vultures are dying, so they're not there to eat these cow carcasses. And this is a huge food source, and obviously in the wild, in nature... This food source isn't just going to go to waste. So the vultures aren't eating it. Someone else will. And that someone was the pariah or feral dogs. Um, So with this new food source, the population of these dogs grew hugely, like especially in rural areas. And by 2008, they estimated that there were five and a half million new feral dogs that were born because these vultures were dying. That's a few. Wow. That's a couple. Is that 95% more dogs than what there was before? (laughs) There's always got to be balance, right? (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. And, like, I wish this was a good thing, you know. Like, if we're saying, you know, vultures are a bit ugly, dogs are kind of cute, you know, I wish more dogs would be great. But, like I said before, these dogs are feral dogs, so they're Mm. notorious for spreading diseases. So where these vultures before stopped spreading bacteria and diseases, these dogs do spread these diseases and one disease that they're really notorious for spreading is rabies right so because they had this huge kind of surgence in numbers um there was a lot more transmission of rabies in these rural indian communities between these dogs and humans so this resulted mm-hmm. in nearly 50,000 human deaths because Fuck. of oh wow transmission okay. of rabies yeah not so insignificant this, <laughs> no and this is you know not ideal not really what you want happening so by this time when the scientists figured this out they were really desperate for a solution they were like oh we've really you know got to kind of piece together and figure out what's going on Mm. so they decided thankfully to look at the cow carcasses that the vultures would have been eating that the dogs were now eating and I should probably point out that in India cows are used for farming but they're not traditionally eaten in accordance to Hindu culture So, you know, they do their farm work and then when they've, you know, their time comes, they die, they're kind of left, the vultures can come and eat them and the circle of life continues. Right. And while they're doing their farming work, cows can get aches and pains just like all of us and they can actually develop arthritis just like we can. So the farmers try and look after these cows by treating them with an anti-inflammatory drug called diclofenac. And the active, this is actually the active ingredient in the Voltaren that we can use as humans. Yeah. So the scientists found out that um, although like this Voltaren, this diclofenac is completely fine for humans, completely fine for cows, it's actually toxic to vultures. And this Mm. is because in vultures' anatomy, they have a different sort of kidney structure. So when the vultures ate these carcasses of the cows that had been treated with the Voltaren, they the were like vultures poisoned. Yeah, essentially poisoned. Yeah. They went into renal failure, kidney failure, and died. Oh, fuck. So what this meant was that ultimately these farmers were trying to, you know, do the best thing for their cows. They were trying to mm. relieve their pain from their arthritis. But this essentially poisoned the vultures, yeah. which then increased the population of rabid dogs. Which, which was then ultimately increased, worse. Yeah. yeah, which increased the rabies transmission to humans. 
Um, well, so shit, it's crazy, hey. yeah, how everything's interconnected like that. A lot of that chain of events. That's I mean, genuinely a, shit, a wild ride. Like, what mm. a roller coaster. Tragically <laughs> interesting. Like, Thank God yeah, we had CSIRO yeah. on the job. <laughs> <laughs> Only what funny did... if the first joke stays. <laughs> <laughs> what did they notice first out of that event, that chain of events? Like, were they like, people are dying more now or? There's so many dogs. Or I think it was the vultures the at first, yeah, because they would have seen you know, the vulture 95... carcasses everywhere, right? Not yeah, yeah. Them so... Falling out of the sky first. Well, if they were all happening kind of simultaneously, someone probably just noticed that they were all happening and was like, "There's a link here, right?" Mm. Like, mm, yeah, yeah, and especially you know, if there were vultures together. all eating the one carcass, there's only yeah. so far they can go from that before they die. Know, they yeah. die. Yeah. Fuck, yeah, and then they figure out it's something yeah. in the cows, and then they narrow mm. it down to the. Yeah. It would have only been like recently that they started treating their cows with this drug because I, I unless they, I'm mistaken, they probably didn't have access to this anti-inflammatory naturally. It's only as like pharmaceuticals have come along later in life, and they're like, oh, let's treat our cows with this good shit. They they gonna walk better. They gonna be better. They gonna do better. We gonna get more crops. It's gonna be good. Yeah. And then oh shit, Definitely. everyone's dying. Um, yeah. What do we do? Um, also, just want to note that um, there's a lot. There are a lot of Indians that eat beef um, because really? it's not just Hindu people. There's there's huge populations mm. of Muslim communities, Christian mm. communities, like down in the mm. south in India. Mm. They have a beef festival every year. Right. So it's just like um, so, the Hindu culture specifically that doesn't eat meat, which is a yeah, large and part tr- of India, however not. It yeah, is, not, not and especially in the north, yeah. which I think is what we see a lot more of in the media. You see a lot more about northern India right. than yeah. southern India. I think the Indian government tried to ban the consumption of meat and the southerners were like, yo, fuck off. <laughs> so they rebelled. Give me nice. my beef. They had okay. beef with them, you could say. <laughs> Let's cut that out. Excuse you. <laughs> no, that was fucking golden. Wayne, this is the standard of humor on our podcast. If you don't like it, you can leave. But also oh, no, don't no, leave. No, 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 no. Um but before before we shuffle over to you, uh that's really oh my gosh, that's so cool. I love I I loved the like murder mystery vibe of that. Um <laughs> before we shuffle along to Wayne, is there anything else that you wanted to like you know, chuck out there that you hadn't quite got through yet. Maybe just positive news at the end. They um, the government has banned the use of this diclofenac, this Voltaren for the mm-hmm. cows. So there's an alternative that they can use now called meloxicam. Yeah, and this is basically we, fine for the vultures. We use that in the lab. Um, on the rats is the post post surgery when we do surgery on our rats, and we've got to give them like analgesic. Um, post surgery, we use meloxicam. Is that one that's oh, used with humans as well? I don't think so. I think it's one that's uh, just used in in vet clinics and stuff. Okay. Um, Mm. As far as I'm aware, because you like inject it. It's like IP inject. Uh. I mean, you could probably take it orally, but um, it's not. As far as I'm aware, it's not a standard human one. No, that's that. that I'm glad that you know they were able to solve that mystery and then like implement Mm. a solution. And you know, science is great, guys. That's the moral (laughs) of the story. Science is here to save the world. Uh, Wayne. Yeah. Lucky Wayne, last. Wayne. On to you, man. What have you Wayne's got for world. us? Wayne's world. <laughs> it is my world. No. Um, so, yeah. So, the, the topic I chose to talk about was, uh, was along the lines of camouflage, but not the camouflage that we all know and love. So, 
when when we hear the word camouflage, we always think about animals just changing colors, blending into their background. And mm. like my favorite is like an octopus, yeah, uh, changing to like to look like the sea floor. Mm-hmm. I think this is going off on a bit of a tangent, but the octopus is one of the only animals that can camouflage and change this their skin so well that it also changes the texture of it. What? But, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, like yeah. the way the way it looks, at least. Damn! Um, I yeah, need that to cover all my um, acne, please. Yes. <laughs> Save my please. skin out. <laughs> God, yeah. Like, hit me up with that octopus camouflage skills. <laughs> yeah, but no, but unfortunately, that's not what I'm gonna continue talking about. Though. Okay, well, but just get a beautiful fun fact. Us down, beautiful you know, fun fact. Whatever. Yeah, I'll do. I'll talk about that for the next time I go on uh, radio. <laughs> No, so yeah, no, I'm we'll have you back as a guest. Is, That's all right. You're a friend of the show now. You're, you're in. Um, <laughs> looking forward to that. But until um, then, what are you, yeah, tell, what right. are you actually so, talking about? I'm actually going to talk about smell camouflage, which is how mm. animals hide from their prey or predator by smelling differently. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so this is still like a very new area of research and I don't, from the looks of your faces, which none of the audiences can see, <laughs> they look, they look a bit stunned. Yeah. So yeah. So like I said, it's a very new area of research, and like, and like scientists, it's not that easy to detect this, right? And I made this joke in the, uh, in the on the radio, but I want to make it again because I was really proud of it when I thought of it. Yeah. But, like, milk that humor when you've got it. Milk it. It's fine. Go. So like, it's not like we can pick up an animal, smell it. And then just say, oh, that smells different. That's definitely camouflaging its smell, right? <laughs> no, but we, we don't have that many sm- uh, uh, smell receptors. Humans are pretty shit at smelling. Yeah, like, right? Yeah. There's a few Our people that just straight up system. don't have a sense of smell and they get by. Oh, yeah, life, yeah. You know? um, but yeah. Like, that's why we need dogs at airports. True. I was afraid to make this joke on radio, but I feel like this podcast is okay. My boyfriend has a super nose. He can smell anything. I feel like put him up to the challenge of like sniffing out which sniffing animals out are camouflaging. Animals. <laughs> He's all over it. We'll get him so to we work just with need to scientist. get like our super sniffers on the job. Uh, yeah. Super sniffers. Yeah. So like that's the, well, I know super tasters is like a real thing in science, like to do with the number of taste buds you have. Like, and the right. actual official scientific name for it is super taster. It's like, come on, do better. I mean, the olfactory uh, system and taste buds, they're all linked, aren't they? Like, if uh, you don't have a sense of smell, it affects your taste. And likewise, like. Yeah. Mm, so yeah, super yes, yeah. but it's complicated. Okay. Uh, potentially, yeah. it's complicated. I could do a whole episode on the olfactory yeah. gustation thing. It's I was going to say, we can get the neuroscientists to talk about it more. I know. <laughs> Another time. Another time. So, Wayne, though, tell us how this smell camouflage works. Like, what does that mean? Right. So, for so this goes on to uh, me talking about the examples that I found um, in the wild. So... One of the first animal I uh, decided to talk about was the orange-spotted harlequin filefish. And these animals have evolved so well that they camouflage themselves through smell, but also um, the way they look, the visual cues. But I'm just going to stick to the smell side, right? Yeah, I want I, I don't care about visual Visual <laughs> camouflage is so, like... It's all news now. So it's last old year. news, man. Looks I don't know about guys, the smell. Okay? It's all about smell. <laughs> smell is in. Orange is the new black. Smell is the new camouflage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. So so the way these fish camouflage themselves is that they, they live in a type of coral called Acropora coral. And their main food source is Acropora coral as well. So they're eating their own house pretty much. But when, okay. when, when they 
I'm picturing just like it. the witch living in her gingerbread house, you know. Yes. Just slowly getting some late night it. munchies, being like, you know what? Why not? Hey, why not? Yeah. But uh, so what, ha- what happens with these fish, once they eat the corals, they smell like it. And so that's how. And right. So, oh, that's yeah. so fucking smart. But uh, yeah, like, so right, as a molecular biologist, my first thought was, what are the chemical cues that are. Like, what's happening inside them that's making them do this? They have no idea. It was very disappointing when I Classic. read yeah. <laughs> They don't know. Classic like, scientists. Okay. They don't know shit. It's <laughs> true. It's true, though. I've learned so much. It's just like, any, as much as I keep pressing the questions and stuff, all of the cool stuff, it's like, oh, so how does that work? I don't know. We don't know. Yeah. We're working on it. Trust me. Well, that's that's the definition of science as an industry, right? Like, scientists, like, it's it's... I don't know yet, but I'm trying to find out. Yeah, that's oh, a yeah point. I just <laughs> discovered the appeal of a PhD. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they don't know how they do it, but yeah. they still do it, so, and that's hell cool. Right, and but like so, so what I talked about in the radio show was uh, how they actually proved this. Right, mm. so there are crabs that also live in these aquaporal corals, and so what they did was they caught these crabs and they. Um, they wanted to see if they could tell the difference between the file fish and the corals itself. And I'm not going to go into details of the methods they use, but the crabs couldn't tell the difference. But once these Man. fish started eating a different type of coral, which I don't know the name of and I probably won't be able to pronounce it even if I did, <laughs> uh, they could straight away they could tell the difference between the file fish and the coral. Oh, dang. Yeah. That's and so cool. once they... Once I proved it, they wanted to see if this held true in a predatorial sense where they caught the filefish's greatest predator, which is cod. And again, they found the exact same thing. Cod could not tell the difference between filefish that ate acropora coral but, and the coral itself. But once yeah. once the filefish ate something else, it's like, they oh, tell you've it. appeared again. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> like I mean, like, not fish. cool for the cod. <laughs> like, sucks for the cod, yeah. but, like. I can just imagine a filefish oh. eating the wrong coral and be like, oh shit, I need to find a coral to hide in. It was at this moment he realized he fucked up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, oh. yeah, so that's really interesting. So, that was the first animal that I read about and I thought it was amazing. Yeah, Mainly I because love this next one though. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, yeah so, this next one's a, a bit. Taser. It's a. It's a completely. The, the, the way they camouflage is a completely different method. There's. It's there's no chemical reactions happening uh, that makes them smell differently. So it's this is occurring in the California ground squirrels. Mm-hmm. And the way they camouflage themselves is that, sorry, before I continue, their greatest predator is um, a rattlesnake. Okay. And as we all know, snakes shed their skin. Yes. True. So the way, the way <gasps> no, the squirrels avoid No, they don't, do they? Oh, I see where this is going. By... It's, it, it's so kind gross. of disgusting, but no, it's amazing. Awesome. Um, they they grab the shedded skin, they chew it, and then <laughs> they slather it all over themselves, Yo. like war paint themselves right up with the carcasses of their enemies. They chew right, them like, up, spit them out, bathe in it. Fucking hell! <laughs> oh, I this dig is that me hard. Of, like, some- gory film where like people die and no they're, they're trying to run away from someone and try to pretend they're dead and they take the blood of like someone yeah. that died beside them and rub themselves I need in to it. see the like right. adult cartoon of this like you know we're talking adult? like yes. you know like happy well, tree adult, friends not, version not, okay when I say adult cartoon <laughs> I don't mean like you know like you know 
All rated cartoon. Scary. I just think, like, you know, oh my God. like, what like, are you doing with that Bojack scary? Horseman, like, you know, the sorts of family cartoon. guy, happy tree friends. Yes, yeah. like things that you can that you can like depict really gory, inappropriate Rick stuff, like someone smothering that. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Rick and Morty would do a great like a Rick and Morty yeah. style. Right, yes, right. That's what right. I mean. I can, like, I can imagine Rick, that now, but. With squirrels with rubbing Morty. themselves. And, and Morty, I'm a snake, snake now, gum. Morty. Snake I, rubbed, I rubbed snake on me, Morty. Now I'm a snake. Oh, jeez, Rick. I, <laughs> I don't know if that's gonna... it's kind of gross. <laughs> it's Squirrel Rick. <laughs> I'm Snake Rick, Morty. Is it Squirrel Rick or is it Snake Rick? I'm Squirrel Rick. A, you'll never know. That's the thing. Oh oh. You can't tell, can you? That's right. <laughs> I actually really, really want to see that episode of Rick and Morty now. Same. <laughs> We'll pitch it to the creators. I'll get in touch. I'll go. I'll have my people. Yo, Dan Harmon. What, what is it? Season five now? Yeah, it'll happen. Surely we get um, Dan Harmon on the show. Oh, God. A dream, right? <laughs> anyway, Wayne, keep going. I honest, uh, yeah, I can continue on, but honestly, I'm, I'm enjoying this conversation more than what I have to say next. <laughs> so, like, like, like all science, disco- science discoveries, they had no idea why the why um why these girls were doing this, right? We we now know it's because they were camouflaging themselves to smell like the snake. But when they first did it, they had no idea, and they thought that it could be some way that the squirrels thought uh, showed each other who the alpha was. Mm. And uh, but <laughs> but they the the reason they scratched this theory was they found out that the squirrels started doing it to the the baby squirrels. Haha, uh-huh. so yes, alpha baby. Yeah. Alpha baby. Yeah. yeah, so like an intimidation technique, but then you're also doing it to your kids. I don't know. Yeah. I, like, my kid could beat up your kid. <laughs> because it smells like a snake. Still so gross and so cool. It's so cool. Yeah, and so that's really that's really all I have to say about that. Uh, Man. That's, so you've got uh, these squirrels that are just like, eh, the snake's going to come get me. I know. If I just rub myself in their skin, I'll be fine. And now, oh, no, I got babies. Better protect oh those babies. Rub them in the snake skin. And come along now, kids. It's time chill. for your flesh bath. Oh, <laughs> oh, no. oh God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Flesh but. bath. Yep. Really? Yep. <laughs> no regrets. I, I, I do have one more point to say, though, because so when I was – practicing this with Jen. Jen pointed out that snakes are actually more attracted, like not more attracted, but are actually attracted to their own scent. Oh. So, Ooh. right. So I, I didn't know this until, until, until she said it. But the, again, they just realized that, yeah, they, they are attracted to their own scent, but they were a lot less likely to enter a squirrel's uh, house or whatever. Nest, yeah, for a better word. Yeah. <laughs> then... If it's more like a snake than if it was a squirrel scent, because obviously if it, if the snake's hungry right. and they're looking for food, they're not yeah, going to be not, like they're not looking like when they're looking for another snake, they're looking for different. Yeah. You know, it's like, are you going out for hookers? Are you going out for mackers? Like, <laughs> right? You know, different needs, different thing. Anyway, yeah. Um, that that was the last point I had. That was I hate my own sense of humor. Um, <laughs> hookers or mackers, which is it going to be? Hookers or mackers. <laughs> different smells, different, yeah, exactly. Oh, no. All right. It's about time, about time to put a pin in this tomfoolery and shuffle ourselves along 
to, as always, if it's the first time listening to the show, every episode we tackle a listener question at the end. If you have a listener question for yourself, you can always email it in. Curiosityrat at gmail.com is our email address. Shoot me those questions that you can't be fucked Googling yourself. Or in this case, this is more like a shoot me a question that you clearly kind of already know the answer to, but you want me to rant about it anyway. I'm here for that too. This is going to be a blast. (laughs) So I'm going to read this word for word because it's beautiful. So this, this was an email that came in from Faith and it says, can you talk about vitamin IV infusions and how they are not only a total waste of time, but also fucking dangerous? I think a Kardashian was even hospitalized for having them, but they're really popular. In fact, just vitamins as a whole, unless you are deficient, are they even worthwhile? So I love this because there is a lot in here. Yeah. Right. So like short answer. Yeah, expensive pee. No, unless you are deficient in a vitamin, no, they are not worth it. Don't waste your money. But, okay, I'm going to, like, I'm going to unpack this because there's there's a lot of things here. So, first of all, let's just start, just in case you don't know, a quick little very simplified vitamin 101. Like, what the hell are vitamins? Like, what are people even talking about? So, vitamins are essentially, vitamins and minerals are stuff that our bodies, our cells, whatever, need to, like, do do their thing properly. But it's stuff that we can't make on our own. Asterix, we make vitamin D with sun, blah, blah, blah. But generally speaking, it's stuff we can't make, so we have to consume it, whether that be by, like, food or multivitamin tablet or, apparently, IV drip. We'll get Some there. plants eat insects um, for it. Listen to our carnivorous plants episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's lots There's lots here. And the difference between... So, like, the difference between vitamins and minerals, like, minerals are going to be, like, your elements. Vitamins are organic, which, you know, by the scientific term of organic, that literally just means that they have carbon in them. None of that is important. Um, another kind of key fact is... There are water-soluble vitamins and there are fat-soluble vitamins. This is important because water-soluble vitamins are the ones that are essentially... So, like, because of their chemical structure... So this is vitamins like vitamin C, vitamin B. Because of their chemical structure, they kind of float free in the blood and therefore they can, like, fit into your, like, kidney tubes. I know this is bad science. <laughs> kidney they, tubes. Because, they, well, essentially they can <laughs> be filtered out by your kidney... They fit in your kidney and can be filtered out and peed out, whereas, like, lipid-soluble ones, they actually need, like, a... Because they're hydrophobic, so, like, they don't like water, they actually have to bind to, like, a carrier protein to kind of carry them around the blood. They can't just kind of... Because your blood is essentially water, right? So you can't have these lipid-soluble things just free-floating. They have to be attached to something, and because they're attached to this carrier protein, it doesn't fit in the kidney tubes, hence the weird analogy with kidney tubes. And that means it gets stored in, like, fat and in your liver. And this is really fucking bad, because if you have too much of this, it can build up and it can be toxic. Like, it can be... Bad. Just don't, just be careful. Um, But like, I will acknowledge very quickly, yes, vitamin deficiencies are bad. We know that like vitamin C deficiency can lead to scurvy, not ideal. But so like, if you've had a blood test, right? If you've gone to the doctor, you've had a blood test, you found that you're deficient in something, or if you have like a medical condition that means you can't absorb the nutrients from food the way that people normally would, then yes, vitamins have value right? Vitamin tablets or vitamin IV infusions. Like, you know, some people get like iron infusions under medical, you know, circumstances. Um, but if you're not deficient, 
no, it's just going to either be expensive pee or build up in your liver and kill you. Don't do it. Um, so let's move to the cool part, like the juicy part of the question, which was the IV part of the question, yeah. which like, first of all, I didn't know this was a thing Me and it's either. blown my fucking I brain. I assume an like, IV infusion vitamin wild. would be like, you're literally on an IV drip with vitamins, right? That like, sounds yes. like some bougie shit, like people that go to the hospital for like an eye or like have a home IV drip for a hangover. Like it makes yes, sense. Like a it is exactly thing, this. Right? Like. Yeah, no. So, <laughs> like it is literally exactly this, right? It is, it is celebrities. So like it was Kendall Jenner was in fact hospitalized after receiving an IV injection, but the details about what the problem was a fuzzy. We won't go there. But there are celebrities like Chrissy Teigen, Adele, Gwyneth Paltrow, even the Beebs, all getting this done at home. Like, but it also, also, it is not just like a celebrity thing. It's like just a rich person thing. Like, there are clinics in Australia, in Melbourne, in Perth, in Sydney. Like, there are clinics in Australia that you can go to. They're called alternative therapy lounges, which you already know is kind of <laughs> fucking dodgy, right? <laughs> Where you just get to, bad. like, essentially sit in a comfy lounge, shove a fucking needle in your arm, sit there for, like, an hour, pay a thousand bucks, um, oh, and walk out of it feeling better. And, okay, so quick side note on the hangover ones. A lot of, like, first of all, there's no evidence for any of this. I'm going to break down some of that in a sec because, like, boy, it boils my blood. Like, the poor, this the bad science, such bad science. But with the hangover <laughs> but all one. all the medical TV shows taught me, taught me that IV drips after a hangover are great. Well, see, here's the thing, right? Biggest cause of, like, what you feel after a hangover is dehydration. Like, yes, if you've yeah. got an IV drip full of fluids, it's going to rehydrate you. Like IV, like I will clarify, the use of an IV drip is not necessarily bad. In many medical situations, it is good. And if you're, if you need rapid rehydra rehydration, yes, it's good. But like, if you go to one of these alternative lounges for a hangover cocktail, like it's not the vitamins, man. It's literally just the rehydration. Like okay? shit, man, like, just drink some you, water. Exactly. What? Just drink some what? fucking water. No. It's so much cheaper. Mm -mm. And there are a lot of other issues, and I'll get to that. And if you want like, to be wanky sec, about your water but... drinking, buy some Voss, buy some Evian, fucking whatever. <laughs> just, like, drink it, man. <laughs> you don't need to needle that shit into your arm. I know, I know. But all of that aside, people are getting fooled into this by some very... I'm going to call it evil science communication, because it's where they've taken oh, stuff that they've, they've framed as legitimate science... And they're using it to advertise this. So, like, I went onto one of the actual websites of one of these, like, clinics. And I'm not going to name it because I'm not going to, like, name and shame. But these are, I'm going to, I have actual quotes and then followed up the actual studies that were referenced. And I'm about to show you why. Oh, you're just, you're going to see why I'm angry. <laughs> so let's, let's start with number one, where this whole idea came from. Because it, like, it started off bad, right? It's fucking, it's tenuous at best. So the most common type of IV vitamin injection is something called the Myers cocktail. And essentially the science, I say science in inverted commas about how this like formula came about is fucking wild. So back in the seventies, there was a doctor, medical doctor, John Myers, who was essentially treating a bunch of patients with an IV drip of something, something. Right? I hope that's not what the study says. Nice. Oh, no, no. It, it, we don't know because what happened is <laughs> Dr. Myers died and a bunch of, like, oh, all no. his patients, so yeah, they were getting treated and they were, like, miraculously cured of all sorts of strange ailments. They then went to another doctor who then essentially took them on as patients and this doctor published a study and it says, and this is a direct quote, 
It was not clear exactly what the Myers cocktail consisted of, as the information from the patients was incomplete and no published or written material on the treatment was available. Nice. So, like, first of all, big red flag, what the fuck? Like, why would you pursue this? This is sketchy as all hell. Like, who knows what he was drugging them with? Anyway, they've arrived on it now being this, like, concoction of vitamin C, vitamin B, mostly, like, water-soluble stuff. So it's not going to kill you. You're just going to spend a lot of money on pee. Um, but then beyond that, it goes, like, it when it goes, okay, so we don't really know what it was, but we've kind of guessed it's this. It then goes and it says stuff like, it appeared he used this, but then with zero reference to where the fuck this information came from. It's just like, it appeared he used vitamin C at these doses. And it's like, cool, appeared how? Like you said, there was no written information. Like, mm. this whole thing is so sketchy. Appeared and this was an actual published... <laughs> yeah, like, this was an actual published study. And I... <laughs> <laughs> it's I honestly I cannot believe it and it gets okay it gets worse so this website then went on to so this website of this particular clinic that I looked into this is a quote that's like oh a published review suggested that an infusion can be clinically effective against wait for this list acute asthma attacks migraines Fuck you. fatigue fibromyalgia acute muscle spasm cold chronic sinusitis seasonal allergies chronic depression, anxiety, and other disorders. The fact that they threw <laughs> asthma attacks disorders. in there makes me fucking Ugh. mad. Asthma attacks can kill. Like, okay. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, can a can. lot of those things. I mean, but, yeah. <laughs> but let me just, okay, so that was where they were like, okay, a published review. So I went to that review. Yeah. Do you want to know what that review actually was? What? It was literally just a collection of, like, anecdotal case studies. Like, things, like, literally being, like, a five-year-old boy presented with asthma. He was given X dose of Y vitamin. Eleven months later, he was fine. And it's just, like, a collection <laughs> of those. Months later. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, this Imagine is literally... This poor child hyperventilating. You give him these fucking vitamins, and he's just, like, struggling to breathe for 11 months. It's like, oh, he was fine later. It's, yeah. It's fucking and, like, this is just <laughs> such bad oh, science. Yeah. Like, anecdotal case studies are not... That's not a review that's not a peer review We're talking about anecdotes are the best okay i've got one for you that's what we've got next are you ready for this one so the next paragraph on this same website and i quote a recent randomized control study conducted by yale investigators so you know it's legit um evaluated the effects of the myers cocktail on patients with fibromyalgia they found weekly infusions led to clinically significant improvement in tender points, pain, depression, and quality of life following treatment, but the results did not achieve statistical significance in this study. AKA, when you go to the study, <laughs> they found no difference between those that were given this Myers cocktail infusion and those that were given like a dummy infusion of just right. like saline. Shocking. So I was, I was initially like, I was okay. So they've, they've thrown in this little sentence at the end being like, it didn't achieve statistical significance. But then how can they get away with saying they found weekly infusions led to a clinically significant improvement? The reason they can say that, and it's not technically lying, and this is what boils my blood because bad psychom, um, what, they, what the study did find was a significant placebo effect. So those that received the dummy infusion, as well as the other three, like they both significantly felt better than they did before. And therefore they can say they found that weekly infusions led to clinically significant improvement because in, but like they don't say infusions of the cocktail. Like it's, it's so messed up, like, and it's so misleading and it makes me so 
angry. And so kind of like the last point that I want to just, I know this has gone on for a while, but like this is oh, infuriating. So the last point I kind of want to look at is like, okay, so they found this clinically significant placebo effect. So if it works via placebo, like, does it matter, right? If it's helping these people feel less pain, does it matter that if it's it helps a placebo? and it doesn't harm them, then I would argue it's okay. However, exactly. I feel there's an issue it with that latter point, isn't there? Exactly. Because this argument only holds up when there is no risk. But IV injections, especially the form that come from, like, you know, the ones that the celebrities, like, there's a Chrissy Teigen, she posted an Instagram photo of her sitting, like, in her bedroom getting an IV drip. There was, like, I watched a YouTube video of some quote-unquote doctor online advertising his thing where he's like, oh, you can just, like, put it in the cup holder of your car and oh, while, you're driving, you. while you're driving home, you can get your vitamin infusion. And I'm just like, this is so fucked. Um, but, like, okay, so aside from the fact that it's just Do the same thing pee, by eating your vitamins on the drive home. Right, exactly. With a cup right? of water. Like... <laughs> exactly. Because, like, when... Think about it. When you shove a needle into your bloodstream, you are, like... You are bypassing your body's natural defense system, which is your skin, right? You are opening up a direct pathway for bacteria to get directly into your blood. Like, there is a massive risk of infection. And, like, on top of that, there's, like, if you're, if you're someone with high blood pressure, then there's, like, a massive risk of fluid overload. You know, several different, you know, there, is, there are just so many risks. Like, this is not a safe viable backup plan to eating well like eat your fucking vegetables drink some fucking water stop shoving needles in your arms for the sake of health like it's so don't believe the science because people are twisting it and it's there is no science and i'm angry and i'm an emotional and emotional i yeah. am emotional and, and if you yeah. have if you are having things like if you're if you're fatigued or you're dealing with shit that you're like mm, something's not right go to a doctor get a mm. blood test test your vitamins exactly if exactly. you are deficient Take those supplements yes. under the doctor's advice. Shout right. out to fellow pernicious anemia people, low in B12, suffering from fatigue. And then you get those shots and you're like, fuck yeah, this is energy. Yeah. Oh my 100%, God, percent Like under proper medical circumstances, IV infusions of, and it's not, but like, that's the thing. It's normally for like single nutrient deficiencies. Like you're low mm. in iron or you're exactly. low in one particular vitamin. It's not just like some weird Myers cocktail that was invented on the basis of literally nothing. Um... And Ugh. if for whatever reason, right, you're like, I don't want to take supplements or anything like that, and if that's the case, why the fuck are you sticking needles in your arm? The doctor could yeah. probably advise you to just like work Which out some dietary changes eat. and stuff like that. Yeah, like most of the things you're deficient in, you don't even need to take pills for. You just need to switch up exactly. your diet for a bit, eat more vegetables, eat more or and less like, meat, whatever. Depending to be on honest, what they like ask. even like, if you're someone who doesn't eat a lot of fruit and veggies, but you like you eat a lot of toast, like most of our bread and our breakfast cereals are fortified with vitamins and minerals these days. Like you know, the problem of scurvy and people on ships is not the same problem faced by like I don't know college students that can't be bothered eating healthy diets like <laughs> to an extent a lot of the what we see as crappy foods are still crappy like I am still saying please eat better for a host of other reasons but you're probably not nutrient deficient as a result of that but if you think you might be go to a doctor I cannot stress like, it if, enough Just if you're rich enough to pay test. for the if you're rich enough to pay for the IV infusions you're probably rich enough to 
hire a private chef to cook yeah, you a proper look, meal. True. Yeah, look, right. hey, true. Fuck, just... that'll probably, that'll taste good. Imagine having your meals cooked for you. That's not bad. Right, right? exactly. <laughs> sushi Honestly, or some shit. Like, God I think our listen. like, I'm aware that our listener base is unlikely to be of the crowd of people that would be seeking out these IV infusions. So I think, like, the main thing I want to draw attention to is just, like, be wary of just, like, misinformation, especially in, like, the medical world and stuff branded as, like, alternative medicine alternative solutions because they're not necessarily safe um and just because something's like natural like vitamins doesn't mean that they're not going to have the potential to do harm so just like what's natural about an iv drip jesus like well i don't know well the thing is that the thing is right so the fda the food um drug association they monitor like medications and 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 food like very strictly um, in America, but they don't. Vitamin supplements and mineral supplements are exempt from FDA regulation, which means two things. It means number one, they don't. What they claim to do does like they don't necessarily have to do that because it's not regulated. They can claim to do whatever the fuck they want to claim, and there doesn't have to be any scientific proof backing it up. Number two, they don't actually have to contain what they say they contain. So this is like multivitamins in Whoa, the store, what? right? What? Yeah. No. And there are a whole bunch of, no, there are a whole bunch fuck. of studies that have found lying. like like, no, that about 50% of multivitamins either contain more of some vitamins than they claim or just don't, co- like, complain- contain something completely different entirely. Could they just give because you sugar it's not pills and be like, this is magnesium? They can. They legally can. It's very <laughs> They legally can. Is that in Australia what? as well? Um, I'm uncertain about Australia. The FDA is America. But, yeah, no, I would say based on the way that our supplements are stol- sold in grocery stores, etc. like, it's, yeah, they don't actually have to oh, have God. any proof that a they are what they say they are b what they say they do so just like be wary with like everything yeah yeah Yeah. and because people will like even if it's like here's a study that found this like i just showed right that doesn't mean that that study actually showed that Mm. it just means that the people that want to make money off you are saying that that study showed that so that's i don't know that's why psychom is important that's why we have the amazing unimel psychom team here talking about science today because good way to bring it back you know yeah well because that's the whole point right is that science communication is such an important tool for scientists to learn because otherwise your information might get misconstrued and misused and and that is just ultimately miscommunicated Misleading. You know, all of the miss words, you don't want that, right? You spend your life studying something. You just, you want your science to be actually, you know, communicated to people in a way that will help them, not in a way that is lying to them. So study Psycom, listen to our podcast. Hope you loved it. Remember, you can always follow us on social media. If you don't already, at Curiosity Rat on Twitter and Insta, search us up, you know, Curiosity Killed the Rat on Facebook. Um, and then thank you once again to our amazing guests that we had on today. You guys were brilliant. Um, I loved having you on. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And if our listeners want to find more of you, where can they find you? Steph? Uh, hanging out beside my plants, obviously. Um, yep. Alternatively <laughs> on Twitter at OstephBrown. Amazing. Kat, how about you? Yeah, Twitter for me, at Kat underscore Thompson underscore. Nice. And Wayne? Uh, my Twitter handle is Wayne Do. 
eight. Amazing. All of these links will be down in the description, fam. So, you know, feel free to click on, give these guys a cheeky follow. Um, they're all cheeky. amazing, amazing science communicators. Um, and thank you again, guys. Thanks so much for coming, coming on, the, on the, show. the show. It's been an absolute blast. Kate and Matt, it has thank been you a for us. Thank you. Later, skaters. Alright, I'll do some weird or do you want to do a segue, Matt, that's like, cheers Wayne, that was swell, and then you can throw to me and then I can <laughs> Cheers Wayne, blow. that was swell. <laughs> that's how people talk. <laughs> oh, that's how I talk. You know, I would fucking say that. Why don't we just keep what Kate just said then and have it? <laughs> oh my god, now I just want to get all of us saying at the same time. Cheers, Cheers Wayne. Wayne. That was swell. <laughs> With the it's gonna fucking be impossible call over Zoom be... because of the lag. I mean, yeah. I'll, 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 I'll line it up. That's all right. We'll do our best. I'll count three, two, one, and then we all just try and say it despite what everyone else is saying, and then we'll we'll move on. Not even acknowledge it. We'll just pretend it's normal. We'll see what the listener response is. I'm kind of curious. Social experiment. Let's go. All right. Three, two, one. <laughs> no, I don't one. have a straight face. Cheers, no. Wayne. Cheers, Cheers Wayne. Wayne. That was swell. Cheers, Wayne. That was swell. I'll I'll make it work. I'll make it work.